We worship you. Amen, amen. If you would remain standing with me and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Merry Christmas on behalf of my wife and I and all of our, our family. Um, this past week, uh, my wife, she was getting a lot of stuff ready around the house for Christmas, so I brought our kids up here one day to help alleviate. Uh, I figured out what that one line in the, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Mom and dad can't wait for school to start again. That line, figured out what that meant this past week. Um, but as we were up here, my oldest son said he wanted some juice. And so um, being a church, we had grape juice, right? And so I went and got some juice, took back to him. He took a big sip of it. And he says, Dad, this is Jesus Christ juice. When we were being raised around here and we were hungry, communion would do for our snack. And so we'd find some bread, find some grape juice. And I don't know if that's holy, but I think David did something like that in the Bible somewhere. So it'll work. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's get into the word. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, I had to look that word up, before they came together, I didn't have to look that up, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word gives life. And I pray that, Father, today as we dive into your word, that it would literally it would give life within our lives. Let it bring transformation and change within us, Father, as we look to the patterns of the scripture of how we should conduct our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Today we finish up and we culminate our series, Christmas of Hope, um, and it's entitled Dirty Laundry. Dirty laundry is something we all hate dealing with, amen? Especially other people's dirty laundry. How many of you have people in your family that just leave dirty laundry all over the house? How many of you? Come on, you can raise your hands. How many of you have family members that leave dirty laundry all over the house? How many of you are the ones that leave the dirty laundry all over the house? Don't be pointing. Parents, it's frustrating. We've just gotten into this whole season of life on sports and soccer jerseys and soccer cleats and our games are in the morning time, so it's nice and moist, and then it gets with the moisture with dirt and sweat, and so um, things begin to stink after a couple of days that are left under the seat in a car or in a corner, and, and you start dealing with the dirty laundry, and it's just, it's putrid, and so it's frustrating. There's an issue, right? There's an issue when other people's dirty laundry begins to invade your space, Right? There's an issue when their dirty laundry begins to invade our space both physically but also metaphorically. Some people's past or their dirty laundry is not pleasant to handle, right? We don't want to pick up and 
often deal with people's dirty laundry and their past because it's unpleasant. And for some, it's past that is more present than past. Meaning it's not too far removed from their life. The stench, right, is still around. But for others, it's past that is more distant than present, but it still has great impact upon their lives. You know, someone is coming over to the house. We don't typically put our dirty laundry out on Front Street because most people don't like their dirty laundry aired out. Right, if people are coming over, we'll go to great lengths to put stuff in the closet and put stuff under the bed or in the master bedroom and and shut the door because we don't want dirty laundry to be aired out. And even though it is present, we learn how to cope with it. We learn how to put up with it. We put the dirty laundry away and our society does not handle dirty laundry really well. I love the scripture that says Roman eight, in Romans 8, verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? He makes all things new, and I'm thankful for the promises of God, but this is not the approach of how the world handles dirty laundry, and sadly enough, it's not often the approach of the church as well. How often do we see people blasted for their past and because of the blast from the past, we see their dirty laundry put out on Front Street? How often do you see podcasts devoted to the complete deconstruction of people and ministers and ministries and politicians and leaders, right? We live in a society that doesn't handle dirty laundry well. Just watch nightly news or a late night show or even more in election time, you see our political leaders who should be setting example, showing poor ways of dealing with people's dirty laundry from the past, and not only is this a bad look, I believe, and I know it grieves the heart of God. And I believe scripture teaches us how to handle dirty laundry, and if there is one example that we could learn from and look to, it would be the one that God entrusted to be the earthly father of his son, Jesus. When God is looking from the balcony of heaven at who would raise his kid, most of us probably wouldn't make that list, right? We didn't make that list, we know, <laughs> we know that. But we would not make that list. And if you are having to choose somebody to parent your child, your greatest joy, your greatest treasure, you are going to be pretty picky. You're gonna look at that list, you're gonna check it twice, right? You're gonna go through and you're gonna know who is on that list. You're gonna go through all options and your children are your greatest treasure. And not only was Jesus God's greatest gift, he was also the world's greatest gift, the greatest treasure. And we know that Mary, she was blessed. She was highly favored of the Lord. But what about the man Joseph, right? What did God look for? and the earthly father of his son. There isn't a lot written about Joseph, but what is written is a treasure trove. Matthew 1 verse 18 says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Mary, 
is betrothed to Joseph, meaning she's not just engaged, but betrothed. He hadn't just put a ring on it, right? He had already went to the courthouse. They'd filled out the marriage license. Everything was public and everything was official. They just had not consummated the marriage at this point. In Jewish culture, this is already a permanent relationship. Right? It's a permanent relationship. Everything is legal and is done. In fact, verse 19, if you'll look, it even calls Joseph her husband. So they're not just fiancés. They're not just engaged. They are legally in a permanent marriage relationship. They had the responsibility of marriage, just not the privilege of marriage. And being prego was not an option at this point. Right? Had she slept with another man and become pregnant, Joseph had the legal right to have her executed. Talk about dirty laundry, right? He had the legal right to have her executed. No ifs, ands, or buts. She could be executed stone to death. See, the situation was deeply troubling for Joseph. And you know what this tells us about Joseph? Because it was so troubling for himself, it tells us that Joseph was a pure man. He was ready to divorce the woman to whom he was espoused. And if you're in Joseph's shoes, you're freaking out. You're thinking, you're pregnant and we, uh-uh, we ain't touched each other. What is going on? Good story, Mary. I'm out. Not happening here. But obviously we know Mary was pure too from the script. Big note. Church purity is still a thing. We are not called as the church to be unequally yoked. God entrusted the greatest gift the world had ever known to a man and to a woman of purity. The scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. God is still looking for a pure people and even though your past might be broken, you might feel like damaged goods, you might think that you've gone too far, you can say as David said, create within me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit cast me not away from your presence because our God he is able and he is willing to create within us a sense and a being of purity doesn't matter what past may look like so what does Joseph do he begins to start the separation process why because righteousness purity does not put up with sin and Mary seemingly had some dirty laundry on front street for everybody to see. Let's look at how Joseph responds. It says in verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What kind of man would the God of the universe allow to become the earthly father of his son? What kind of person, what kind of man would God entrust this great gift, this great treasure to? And I, I maximize this and I say this because 
We are all vessels in which God is wanting to entrust a great gift, a great treasure. So who should we be? What should we learn so that we are able and ready to hold the treasure and the gifting that God is putting into our lives? The scripture says the giftings and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so we need to posture ourselves in such a manner that we are ready to behold the gifting. So what kind of man would God entrust the Savior of the world to? Three things, Matthew says. Verse 19 says, a just man. Everybody say that, a just man. Next one, was one who was unwilling to put her to shame. Everybody say unwilling. He was unwilling. And the third one, one who resolved to divorce her quietly, a man of action. Matthew says in verse 19, the first thing, being a just man. Notice he did not say that Joseph was in the process of becoming. He said being a just man, meaning he had already become a just man. Church, so often we are looking for the greatest gift in the midst of our becoming, but God was, does not entrust the gift in the midst of our becoming. In matters of character, God will not bless us with a gift until we are ready to steward it. In matters of character, he will not bless us until we are ready. I want you to think of an airplane with me. You think an airline is going to put people on an airplane that is not certified to fly? Unless you're flying on Spirit Airlines, no way, right? They're not gonna put people on an airplane unless it is certified and ready to fly. People cannot, planes cannot hold people until they are ready and in the same way, God will not bless us with the gift that he has prepared for us until our character has arrived and our character is ready. In matters of skill, he will trust us to grow in those matters of skill once we are ready. He calls the, he equips the call, not he calls the equipped, right? But in matters of character, we have to be ready to steward the gifting that he's wanting to place within our lives. What did Samuel say to Jesse? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. See, there were sons of Jesse that were so caught up in the external, so caught up in the facade, so caught up in displaying to the world what looked good, but God wasn't concerned with all the external. He was looking to the one who had a heart that was after him, a character that was ready, a character that could facilitate the gifting that he was about to place in David's life. Our heart has to be ready for him. So many today, they're lining up wanting the giftings, but they aren't ready to hold it because a big blessing and a gifting often comes with great responsibility. And with great responsibility comes great weight. And many think they're ready to bear that weight when they can't even bench the bar, right? They think they are ready, but they can't even bench the bar. We've gotta start working on our character. You can't say, well, God, when I get that girl, I will settle down and start cleaning up my dirty laundry. God, if you will just drop Mr. Perfect into my life, I will begin to straighten up. God, if, if you will just provide me with that promotion, if you'll provide me with that job, I will start honoring you with my finances and begin to tithe. If you'll just bless me with those things. No, that's the art of becoming. God wants us in the art of being. He wants us in the art of being the righteous man, the just men and women of God who he has created us to be. Let's look at what Matthew writes about Joseph and how he handles 
this dirty laundry. The qualities, Joseph being a just man. What kind, of God, what kind of guy would God entrust the Savior of the world to? A just man. Many would use the word righteous. What does it mean to be just or to be righteous? It does not mean to be right-ish, right? That there's that, there's that, you know, there's that time that we might not line up. But righteousness transforms all of a person's life. Religion, religion is put on display in our relationship with the Lord. But righteousness is put on display with our relationship with the Lord and our interactions with one another. Right, the religious, they can be oh so devout and oh so pious and they can show up to church on December 26th, the Sunday after Christmas and be at every prayer meeting and they're very, very devout in their walk with the Lord. They just don't know how to love people, right? But a righteous person is devout in their relationship with the Lord and their love and their interaction with one another. The, the righteous have all nine, or the religious, they have all nine giftings of the Holy Spirit, just lack all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the righteous might only have one gifting of the Spirit, but they exude love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. See, religion, it kills, right? The letter of the law brings death. But Proverbs 12, 28 says, in the paths of righteousness, there is life. See, Joseph was a righteous man. He was a life-giving man. What kind of guy would God entrust the Savior of the world to? One who gave life. Number two, Joseph was unwilling unwilling to put her to shame. Think of what Joseph could have done in this situation. His wife is pregnant and he wasn't the baby daddy. He could have been on Jerry Springer or Maury Povich and say, who's the real daddy, right? He could have posted all over social media to air out the dirty laundry, but the key word for Joseph, the key word for Joseph was he was unwilling. He was unwilling. Now, I've known some unwilling saints, but not in the good manner. Joseph was unwilling that there was a certain line that he would not cross. He was unwilling to shame his sister. He was unwilling to shame a brother in the Lord. It didn't matter what was in their basket of dirty laundry. There was just an unwillingness that I'm not gonna cross that line. I'll leave it to God, but I'm not gonna step out. I'm not gonna shame you. I'm not gonna bring up disgrace. I'm not gonna bring up the past. But pastor... But pastor, do you know what they did 10 years ago? They are not fit to do this. All I know is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. She might have dirty laundry in her life, but guess what? If we look deep enough into your basket, we'll find some things that stink too. We'll find some dirty laundry in your own life. Joseph was unwilling. He was unwilling to shame others. We live in a culture that shames others and it's heartbreaking. But as Christians, we have to be unwilling. Why? Because Jesus came to free people of their shame, not post it for all the world to see. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the things of the flesh, but walk after the pattern of the Spirit, because there is life in the Spirit. There's life in the Spirit. We have to be unwilling to shame others. Seeing over the past few weeks, social media sites and podcasts and news agencies and tabloids all devoted to the gossip and shame of others. And you expect it from the world, but when the unrighteousness of the world begins to creep into the church, it's a problem. And there's been too many Christians in the social media age take the bait of Satan on this issue. We are not here to shame. We are here to build people up in the most holy faith. We exist to help people encounter Jesus, to build disciples, to love people and make a difference. Why do we say build people? Because there's enough of the tearing down of people in our society. There's enough of it. Jesus, he handled the situation. The woman caught in adultery. Very similarly, the religious, they dragged the woman to the feet of Jesus, putting her dirty laundry on Front Street for everyone to see. And they come up to Jesus and they said, the law says to stone her. But what do you say? The religious often talk just a little too much. They run their mouth just a little bit too much. Because they were correct in saying the law says to stone her and had they not said the next line, Jesus appeared in grace and truth, right? Had they not said the next line of what do you say, they might have been able to throw that stone. But the problem was they ran their mouth a little too much. They said, Jesus, the law says to stone her, but what do you say? Jesus, being unwilling to put someone to shame, says, anybody that ain't got dirty laundry in your basket, you can go ahead and throw that first stone. And one by one, they dropped their stone because they remembered the dirty laundry in their own basket. They remembered their own dirty laundry. Jesus had compassion because 30 years earlier, there was another woman that could have just as easily been in the same scenario. Mary, his mama, pregnant, and nobody knows who the baby daddy is. But he had compassion. Why? Because I think there was a righteous father, one whom God said, you're a just man. I'm gonna place you. I'm gonna place the savior of the world in your life to teach the patterns to teach the patterns of heaven on earth to the man. Yeah, you might not be perfect, but you're doing a good job, Joseph. He was a righteous man, a just man, unwilling to put her to shame. Next, Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. And even though the angels stopped, God intervened and stopped Joseph from doing this. Joseph was limited in his perspective and Joseph stays, ends up staying with Mary. Joseph did not look this, past the sin, but was willing to respond to it. He resolved to divorce her quietly. 
He didn't take public action because that would have been shaming her, right? He resolved to divorce her quietly. He took action privately, not publicly. Church, we cannot look past sin. Too often we allow sin to lie dormant in our lives and we'll go to great lengths to eradicate a physical, fatal sickness when there is a spiritual sickness that is eternally fatal called sin. And too often we devote way too little time, effort, and money for the spiritually eternal fatal sickness. Right? We devote way too little time and attention to it. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. Why did grace appear? To bring salvation to all people. Why did grace appear? To train us to renounce ungodliness, not embrace ungodliness. Not a license to sin, not a license to court sin, not a license to walk hand in hand with it, but it says training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, teaching us to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. The grace of God, often viewed as a credit card for sin, appeared to teach us to renounce sin, to train us to live in a self-controlled manner. Joseph was not going to look past sin, but was going to confront it. Church, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn people, John 3, 17 says. But in order that the world might be saved, Jesus was the friend of sinners, but would always confront sin. He said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, I have not any. He said, go and sin. He confronted it no more. Our correction, our confrontation of sin must flow from a foundation of love, not public shame and public uh, a public spectacle for others to see. He was willing to confront it. The worship team would come to the stage. Lastly, Joseph, just watch what he did. He said, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice Joseph doesn't, react to the situations. He steps back. As he says, as he considered these things, too often we're reacting. Something transpires, we react. Situation occurs, we react. We see something on social media, we react. But Joseph, the righteous man, unwilling to put her to shame, a man of action, he considers these things. Instead of reacting, he steps back. Isn't it interesting that if we will allow some time to pass, our perspective of situations typically changes? Isn't it interesting if we just allow some time to pass, some things to cool off, our perspective begins to shift and change of the situation before us. We've seen it over and over, time and time again, that if we're quick to make judgment, if we're hasty in our decision-making process, rather than reacting, if we will just step back, God might begin to shift and change our perspective of the situation. All I know is if Joseph would have reacted instead of stepping back, he 
he would have missed out on the greatest miracle he could have ever held in his life. We cannot be reactionary. We have to consider the things that are before us and trust and pray for the wisdom of heaven to come into our lives. Then God might shift and change some things so that we see his perspective, not our perspective on this earth. If Joseph would have acted in haste in Mary's dirty laundry, he would have missed holding the greatest gift the world had ever known. Church, when we respond in haste, we often miss out on the big picture of what God is doing. Rather than react, step back, right? Rather than react to an argument, step back. Rather than react in judgment and harsh words and condemnation, step back. Rather than being willing to gather the mob and say, hey, she's pregnant. I'm not the baby's daddy. Execute her. That was reactionary. Step back. He positioned, he postured himself for holding the greatest miracle the world had ever known. It might be uncomfortable. It might be painful. But if we will step back, he'll change our perspective. If you would stand with me this morning. So what do we do? When confronted with dirty laundry, we're righteous. We're a just people. What do we do to posture ourselves to hold the greatest gift the world has ever known? Be righteous. Be just. Be unwilling to put others to shame. Be willing to confront sin from a posture of love, not a posture of shame and degradation. And instead of reacting, step back. Be righteous, unwilling to put others to shame. Take action. And instead of reacting, step back. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're here this morning, say, Pastor, carrying my fair share of dirty laundry, I'm ready to take it to Jesus this morning, have him wash me of it, cleanse me of it. It's a load that's too heavy. Guess what? It's never meant for you to bear. It wasn't. We all have it choices do you want to lay it down today do you want to release it to him today he wants to take it wash you and cleanse you if you're here today with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed and you want to lay your dirty laundry at the feet of Jesus I want you to just slip up your hand this morning there's things separating you things dividing you from the Lord amen amen hands are going up any other hands this morning things that are holding you back, things that you say, God, I want to be cleansed of these things. I don't want these things anymore. I want to be cleansed of them, the dirty laundry. If that's you, keep that hand lifted up high. 
our altar workers, if you would begin to make it to the front, all of our approved altar workers, if you slipped up your hand this morning, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come down to the front. We wanna pray with you not to know your dirty laundry. You don't even have to tell people what your dirty laundry is. Just, I want you to begin to pray and to seek God. He wants to wash you. As David said, create within me a pure heart. We want a heart that is cleansed and purified after him. I want you to just step out to this morning and come to the front, come to the front. There's freedom here. There's freedom in this house. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and it's not dirty laundry that you're dealing with, but it's other people. And you're having a hard time, a tough time handling it, being righteous or having character that is ready or maybe you've been venturing into that realm of shaming others or maybe there's sin that you need to confront but from a posture of love and you need God's wisdom on how to take care of these things. If you need God in any one of these situations, I want you to step out from your seat this morning. It does not have to be a heaven and hell issue but maybe you just need to consecrate yourself. Maybe you need help and wisdom in these areas. I want you to get out of your seat this morning and come down to the front. Brenton's going to lead us in a song and I want us just to trust these things to the Lord. Trust these things to the Lord this morning.